I just wanted to share a reminder that the content of today's message is PG-13. It, it won't be graphic, but it will be a frank study of the Bible's teaching on avoiding adultery. And you may prefer for your preteens to take part in the, the graded children's programming available in the Discovery Club. So today we continue in our series, Forming Spiritually Fit Families. And we come to a topic of, of real relevance in our culture. We need to see what God's Word says on this subject because what He has to say is very different from what is being popularized in movies and, and music. Right now, resist Satan's whispers when he suggests, ah, this message doesn't apply to you. The Bible cautions, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall, Galatians 6.1. Most people who fall in this area of sin, once proudly asserted, that will never happen to me. And so today, we need to be reminded of God's grace and, and healing for families that need to be restored where adultery has already occurred. We need this biblical reminder today in order to protect marriages and families at Batesville in the months and years to come. I'd rather do prevention teaching right now than do the hours of restoration work later. So very simply, we, we need to hear this reminder that, that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. Let's, let's begin there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, where he said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And Jesus cautioned that long before the physical action of adultery takes place, there is a, a mental response of adultery that starts this sin in motion. So we must guard three areas of our lives to prevent infidelity from occurring. The first area is we must guard our affections. We must be careful that the things we love don't crowd out our spouses. There's a danger that we can fall too much in love with our careers. There's a danger that we can fall too much in love with our hobbies. There's a danger that we can fall too much in love with our material things. There's a danger that we can fall too much in love with approval. And there's a danger that we can fall too much in love with ourselves. So listen to what Ephesians 5 verse 33 says to husbands. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. Author David Mace observed, the belief that love is self-sustaining is one of the myths of our time. It is not. Love must be fed and nurtured daily. 
We must guard our affections, and we each choose what or whom we will love. Husbands and wives need to verbally as well as non-verbally continue to communicate love to their spouses. I want to turn over to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible to the middle, it generally opens to the book of Psalms. And then go to the next book to the right, Psalms, Proverbs, and we're in, in Proverbs chapter 4. And we'll pick up in verse 23. And as you may know, when the Bible was written, it did not contain chapter divisions. Those were just added later for our convenience. They're not from God. And so for continuity's sake, we're going to pick up in Proverbs 4.23 and then continue on with that complete thought, which goes on into Proverbs chapter 5, all the way to the 21st verse. And we'll explore that entire passage as a single section. This is what wise Solomon writes. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left, but keep your foot from evil. In 2015, I was fortunate to travel to Cuba on a mission trip where I was, was speaking and there with a, a team of other ministers and where I, I was able to see firsthand the, the house church efforts to evangelize Cuba. 2015 was before the, the political restrictions had been relaxed in, in Cuba. So I, I went in on a, an educator's visa because I was there to teach and, and speak and I got to worship in a number of the house churches, and the, the Cuban government would allow a church to get up to 30 in size, and that could meet in a house. It'd be snug, but after that, it couldn't grow any, any larger. And that's the way that the, the communist government kept control and tried to regulate, yet allow churches over there. And so the churches were still heavily restricted under communism, but this latitude was permitted for these small pockets of, of house churches to meet. So one evening, two of the other ministers and I were, were visiting the grand historic city of Havana to do sightseeing and to buy souvenirs. And as I was walking there in the, this large, uh, open, outdoor mall, I was approached by two women. And, and at that time, they didn't have many travelers from America due to the existing embargo restrictions. The first woman said, are you from Canada? I said, no. England? No, America. She pointed to the other woman who was handing out flyers, and she said, you like? We have a house five minutes from here, and there are many beautiful girls to choose from. You can enjoy some nice music and, and have something to drink. I politely declined the offered flyer and said, no thanks. And I spent the rest of the evening praying for, for both of those women. I'm not sure if the, the flyer had photos or 
a menu listing descriptions of the various prostitutes, but I didn't think it would be wise to accept it. And this wasn't the only time that happened. And so I, I asked the missionary, is prostitution legal in Cuba? He said no, and, and if arrested, the woman could spend many years in prison. And the reality I came away with is you don't have to be looking for trouble to find it. It can come knocking at your door when you're on a business trip, when you're on vacation, even when you're on a mission trip. That's why this passage teaches, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, and put, put on these spiritual blinders, just like a horse, do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Solomon's telling us, guard our affections. Stay on the straight and narrow. Stay focused. Guard the commitment to your spouse that you have. Don't let other things or other people crowd out that primary love commitment. As we continue reading in this passage, we see that we must guard our acquaintances. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight so that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Verse 8 says, Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others in your dignity to one who is cruel. We have to be very careful that we don't become entangled in a, a friendship or a relationship with someone other than our spouse, which could pull us off course spiritually and or end up in adultery. Maybe you've heard the, the joke about the discussion a husband and wife had one day, and she asked, honey, if I died, do you think you'd remarry? And he, he answered honestly, I, I, I probably would remarry. And she began to ask more personal questions. Honey, if I died and, and you remarried, do you think you'd still live in our house? And he admitted, well, I, I think that would probably be most practical. I, I, I think so. Then she wanted to know, honey, if... If I died and you remarried, do you think you'd let your new wife cook in my kitchen? He responded, I, I, I probably would. And finally she quizzed, if I died and you remarried, would you let your new wife use my golf clubs? He said, no, she's left-handed. <laughs> the, the, the moral of the story is it's probably best not to have a replacement already picked in advance. We must guard our acquaintances. We can certainly do things socially with, with other couples, but 
It is a huge red flag when one spouse begins developing a close friendship with an individual of the opposite sex. You know, that, that guy at work who is so understanding, or, or that woman at the athletic club who takes such good care of her, her fitness and appearance, or, or that neighbor who's always so available to help out when a need arises. I want to warn you that if you are married, you really should not have a friend of the opposite sex with whom you get together for lunch or shopping or with whom you spend time alone. In the workplace, this is especially dangerous as you work on projects and spend long hours with someone other than your spouse. If you think that sounds a little too restrictive or outdated, I could line the platform with broken folks who wish they had listened to such advice. Far from being outdated in today's litigious society, more and more employers are, are wisely avoiding such potential work pairings rather than encounter internal scandal or the possibility of sexual harassment litigation. We must guard our acquaintances. In an article written by Bob Russell, published in Christian Standard, it was entitled, Prudish or Prudent? And he spoke the training his parents had given him that, that needs to be shared again with others of the next generation today. And I'm going to quote from the article. He said, one rule we practiced was, if he's not yours, keep your hands off. This did not prohibit a welcome embrace for someone who had been absent or a, a sympathetic hug for someone who hurt. What was prohibited in our home was fawning over someone else's mate. The innocent kiss under the mistletoe at the office Christmas party. The request, would you massage my shoulder? I think I've got a crick in, in my neck. Or the, the touch that signals something other than brotherly love. He said, I'm convinced that what is sometimes done in the name of Christian love boils down to something more base. He went on and said, one of today's most neglected guidelines is a married person should not travel in a car alone with someone of the opposite sex other than the mate. He said, my, my father would often drive several people home after church, and when my mother could not accompany him, he would occasionally drive several miles out of the way to make sure the last one out of the car was not a woman. And those who know my father might think, well, that's absurd. Who would ever accuse Charlie Russell? But maybe that's the reason no one ever questioned his integrity. He was so straight, no one doubted the validity of his moral fiber or his faith. Russell said, sadly, I can recall church leaders, youth sponsors, and Christian ministers who could have avoided criticism and sometimes averted tragic mistakes had they practiced these basic principles. He goes on, one other neglected guideline that I learned from my parents is avoid suggestive conversation. In Ephesians 5.4, Paul wrote, there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which is out of place. 
Even Christian people say suggestive, flattering comments in hopes that someone will pick up the bait. Well, if you were my husband, I wouldn't let you do that. Or, or as good-looking as you are, you shouldn't have any trouble. Or sometimes even self-deprecating comments that are intended to open the door for a compliment. Well, I'm putting on extra pounds in all the wrong places. And he concludes, we must begin to understand that the battle for our souls begins in our minds. Thousands of good Christian people who never intended to go beyond teasing conversation later wondered how they got involved and, and so far off track. Even if the relationship never goes beyond flippant talk, the Christian loses credibility and harms his or her witness. Now, does that sound prudish or prudent? Our, our staff and elders have embraced a, a code of conduct, and one of the points designed to protect us from doing wrong or even giving the appearance of evil states, I, I will not put myself in any situation that may cause me to be tempted or be unfaithful to my spouse, my church, and my God such as eating, traveling, counseling, alone with a member of the opposite sex, other than my spouse if married, or a family member. Would you reach for the, the message notes printed there in your bulletin and fill in these blanks of five red flags to, to guard against in determining if an attraction is veering in a dangerous direction? Number one, do I find myself wondering, will he or she be there at an event? Number two, do I wonder what he or she will be wearing? Number three, do I find myself going out of my way to speak to that person? Number four, am I more concerned about my appearance if I'm going to see him or, or her? Number five, do I want to confide things with him or her that I wouldn't share with others? You realize that most affairs begin with friendship. Intimacy begins to develop as the friendship progresses a step farther beyond what it should have allowed to progress. And both parties begin to share their hearts and, and soon they're revealing their deepest feelings and then that friendship can, be evolve, can e begin to evolve into something more. You can't believe it is happening. How did you become entangled in this complex web? You never intended to go this far. You expected always to honor the vows you made to your spouse on your wedding day. But that's how easy it is to become embroiled in something that could end in adultery. So recognize this potential weakness and avoid it. Let your spouse be your only best friend and the only close, intimate friend you have of the opposite sex. Work to rekindle those fires of romance. It's good insurance against the compromise of adultery. So we must guard our affections. We must guard our acquaintances. And the final warning is that we must guard our actions. 
Let's go back to Proverbs 5. Listen to what else Solomon has to say. Beginning in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. And then dropping down to verse 18, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. That's the kind of scripture passage that when I was in junior high, my buddies and I would have been snickering and and elbowing each other. So why include a sensual saying like that verse? Because I want us to remember that God is the author of sex. Sex within his divine guidelines is good. It's wholesome. He gravely warns us of the dangers of stepping outside of his boundaries and the long-lasting pain that it will cause. You're familiar with the sports adage, the best defense is a good offense. And that's true not only in sports, but it's also true when it comes to sexual behavior. One of the most powerful things you can do to avoid the, the lure of lust is to maintain the sexual dimension of your own marriage. God created sex. He said to keep it as a lovely thing, and let it remain a lovely thing. He, he wants full sexual intimacy to be enjoyed exclusively in that fully committed relationship between a husband and a wife. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul offered this marriage advice. He, he wrote that the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, do your best to satisfy the needs of your spouse and in return choose to be satisfied fully by your spouse. Make an effort to keep romance and sexual vibrancy alive in your marriage. Did you hear about the the husband who at at bedtime handed his wife a, a glass of water and two aspirin tablets and she looked puzzled and she said, what's that for? He said, it's for your headache but I don't have a headache. Gotcha. (laughs) Well, this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 is teaching that one spouse can't constantly expect sexual relations and the other spouse can't constantly have a headache. It is God's will that there be regular physical expressions of love in marriage. This God-ordained marital expression provides the bonding that is to be exclusively enjoyed with one spouse. Verse 5 tells us that 
avoiding this important aspect of marriage greatly weakens a relationship and subjects it to susceptibility for infidelity. If that describes the level at which your marriage has been subsisting, then you need to pause and you need to spend some time together. You need to invest in each other. And marriages can get into a rut because they become too predictable. So continue to date your spouse long after the wedding cake has been thawed and and eaten. Consider the rewards that God instilled in marriage. More than just a, a cliche that we hear at weddings is the slogan, God's design for marriage was it for, for it to be an arrangement where your joys are doubled and your sorrows are divided. And that truly captures the essence of, of why God ordained this highest level of companionship. Those are the rewards that come from living the married life with the commitment that God intended. So beginning today, you'll experience rewards in your spiritual life when you commit to living according to God's way. What can be done if adultery has already invaded your marriage? You may be thinking, Jeff, I could have used this message years ago on preventing an affair, but, but now it's too late. The damage is done. I have a message of hope for you today. Although difficult, lost respect can be restored. Trust can be regained, but it takes time. The, the derivation of the word reliable conjoins two words, liable, which means to be responsible, and re, which means to do something again and again. So being reliable means proving to be responsible again and again. And over weeks and months and years, that trust can be fully rebuilt. Address the problems of your marriage. Adultery is not the problem. It is a symptom of some other existing problems. Deal with the problem areas in your marriage. Make the effort. Seek some help. Talk to me. Confide in one of our elders. Seek spiritual support. And as painful as your experience may be, it is not an insurmountable obstacle to your marriage or to your life. Practice forgiveness and release the right to strike back. I want to close with an excellent response on forgiveness that was published by Dear Abby. It describes the need to address the problem, seek help, put it behind you, and then drive on. The person who wrote the letter wrote, I was 20 and he was 26. We had been married two years and I hadn't dreamed he could be unfaithful. The awful truth was brought home to me when a young widow from a neighboring farm came to tell me, she was carrying my husband's child, and my world collapsed. I wanted to die. I fought an urge to kill her and him. I knew that wasn't the answer. I prayed for strength and guidance, and it came. I knew I had to forgive this man, and I did. I forgave her too. I calmly told my husband what I had learned, 
And the three of us worked out a solution together. What a frightened little creature she was. The baby was born in my home. Everyone thought I had given birth and that my neighbor was helping me. And actually, it was the other way around. But the widow was spared humiliation. She had three other children. And the little boy was raised as my own. He never knew the truth. Was this divine compensation for my own inability to bear a child? I do not know. I have never mentioned this incident to my husband. It has been a closed chapter in our lives for over 50 years, but I have read the love and gratitude in his eyes a thousand times. Would you pray with me? Dear God, today I I pray over the the messages, over the marriages that are represented within the the sound of, of this message. Lord, those are in this room, those who are watching online, those who are listening on WRBI, those who are watching on YouTube, and I'm sure there are many who have felt the sting of, of sexual sin and the pain that uh, it reverberates. And so, Lord, today I, I pray that this teaching will help to insulate marriages and, and protect them from encountering that pain. And, Lord, where there is already damage that has taken place that you will restore and rebuild and redeem those relationships and strengthen them to be better than they have ever been before. That's our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.